Thank you for listening to Recyclables. I really appreciate it. If you want to support the program, the best way to do that is to like, subscribe, and share. Uh, the next best way is to make a donation either through the Acast app or at our Patreon, which is just patreon forward slash recyclables.com. Until next time, thank you. We're doing this live. We're doing this lo-fi. This is Recyclables. I'm your host, Patrick Thomas Perkins, but that is too many words to call a person, so call me PTP. Another therapeutic, or what, what am I calling these? Uh, free therapeutics from therapy. Here's, here's the premise on these brands of episodes. I have been getting therapy for free for several years now. And as a way to share what I have learned from it, I try to share what I've learned from it, right? Because not everyone has the privilege of getting to go to therapy. Uh, and since I have it, I want to share it. But things don't translate one-to-one, you know? My childhood trauma does not translate to your childhood trauma. My childhood, you know, high points don't necessarily match to other people's childhood high points. And that's just... That's just a result of each human having a different story. So instead, what I try to do is take kind of broad stroke lessons and share them with you. We've got a special guest, Elsie. Uh, you can hear in the background sometimes uh, grumbling at me. This episode, we're going to talk about multiversal ADHD. Uh, I recently got a diagnosis of ADHD. And what I mean by a diagnosis, we'll get into in a minute, because uh, I've known for a while that I have. But what I want to do is talk about ADHD in terms of a multiverse of possibilities. Because sometimes having ADHD, that's how I view the world. Not as it is, but as it could be in a bunch of ways. And that does sometimes give me a sort of uh, a thing called decision paralysis or choice paralysis, where every option seems just as good as the other or just as bad or just as you know like the options are just as gravitationally heavy you know in that sense that like some some ideas have gravity all right we're getting ahead of ourselves that's fine uh what i want to talk about when i say multiversal adhd is i want to talk about the reality for me and then a bunch of tangential ways my reality could have gone uh, that might relate more or less to other people. I think telling you my baseline reality uh, and how I came across this diagnosis will help you understand maybe where you are in a similar timeline. And I kind of want to end by offering some some ways that I wish it had been, or the the suggesting a world that that might be different. All right, so let's start with my baseline reality. Uh, I'm nearly 40. I think I'm 38. Sometimes I think I'm 39. It was the tail end of December. So, like, it's that weird point where, like, is it 85? Is it? I don't know. Anyway, uh, I'm almost 40, and I just got, like, a medical diagnosis. And the important part about a medical diagnosis is that it's about to be put on paper for real. Uh, several, several years ago. Uh, because time is a bit wibbly-wobbly for me sometimes, thanks to both the ADHD and the PTSD. I got all the letters. I got I got more letters than most doctoral candidates. 
after my name. Uh, but because of uh, that time, sometimes is a bit wibbly wobbly for me. Uh, I want to say it was about five years ago. Uh, my kid came up to me, and as the bit goes, because I do it on stage, Dad, I've got ADHD, and I think I caught it from you, and you should probably get tested too. Uh, which, when I went to my shrink uh, after after a conversation with my kid, uh, my shrink was like, "Oh yeah, no, I just assumed you knew because of the way you talk about yourself. You you sometimes say, hey, it, it was me being an ADHD person.'" I didn't realize that you didn't actually know that, like, no, you have ADHD. So that's me finding out at, like, 35, uh, because at 30, I'm hanging out with friends who have had diagnoses, diagnoses, diagnosi. They've had, they've been told they have the ADHD, uh, and I'm listening to their, their symptoms or, or, or the things that they do because of it. We'll have that conversation in a minute, the difference between, like, symptoms and, like, just how a person is. Uh, and I'm listening to their descriptions, and I'm realizing I sync up with a lot of this. Some of these things are different for me. Uh, like one of one of the big things for me uh, is like I didn't I didn't have a lot of parents in my life. I had I had people in my life who were adults who were definitely in charge, uh, but that is. That is, I think, different than people who parent you. I definitely had parents in my life who weren't necessarily the same as the people in charge. And that's just a complex, you know, that's just its own thing. But it means that there weren't a lot of people putting two and two together. The conversations weren't happening the same. Which means that, like I said, by the time I'm 30, I'm talking to friends who are kind of telling me about their lifelong diagnosis with a thing that I'm just realizing maybe that's why my brain is the way it is. Maybe the reason I sit down and read a book while I'm watching a TV show is because that's just the way my brain processes. And growing up, I really hated how I am. Like, I really, really wanted to be normal. I remember having a car ride with a comedian friend and kind of explaining to them that, like, oh, I was listening to this podcast while I was watching a movie, and I had this idea about this other thing, and then that made me realize this other thing, and I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool about the podcast I was listening to. And they they were just like, wow, why why can't you be normal, you know? And uh, it, it kind of struck me because I, like, like I had known I wasn't normal, but it hadn't struck me that I was noticeably not normal, if that makes sense. It was an interesting conversation for me because this person also had ADHD, but they had come up and been able to medicate uh, and had had a number of resources I hadn't. And to them, it was a choice I was making because they couldn't they couldn't see that I wouldn't have a similar experience or similar access to resources. Uh, I Growing up, I really hated how I was because I could not do schoolwork. Um, I, could, I could learn everything. I would get A pluses on tests all the time, and I could read books like nobody's business, and I could absorb information from movies and like from lectures, but I couldn't sit down and write an essay. You know, that, that's the thing that this show is built around, the fact that I like I struggled to sit down and write words in order. 
uh, as a storyteller, I've always been more orally uh, capable <laughs> as a storyteller and as a lover. Am I right? Am I right? Cut that. Cut that. Keep it in, but be ashamed of it. All right, moving on. Uh, one of the other problems about having ADHD um, that I really struggled with is, as I mentioned, uh, my child has it. Uh, and they've had to, they've had access to better resources uh, because they, they have a, a parent on one hand who is more concertedly concerned about them in an emotional, uh, psycho, philosophical sense in myself. And they have somebody who is there to provide them stability and structure and who cares about them very deeply in, in their own way. The reality is my child has had to see me go through a rough time, but know that somebody loves them despite that. Uh, and at the same time, they've also gotten some stability on their mom's end. And that's been very, I don't, I know that hasn't been easy on my kid's mom, uh, but what it has provided for my kid is a, is a bound, a, a, a sort of framework that I personally didn't have available. And not because my parents didn't want to provide it. They were just unable to. Their mistakes allowed me to learn. Uh, but at the same time, because I didn't know my own ADHD self, I uh, never, I, I've, I've struggled with it with my child. And I've also had to watch my child struggle with it, unable to help them. Because sometimes I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you just start 90 projects. Like, sometimes that's just how your day is, right? Here's the tools I have that help sometimes. That gets into what I'd like to talk about before I get into a kind of multiversal model of thinking about it, right? That's the combination of chaotic childhood and um, uh, being a solid learner meant that I gave the illusion of just being a lazy student or a lazy person when, in fact, I was trying to cope with a certain type of uh, brain, you know, like having a brain that is a certain way. Uh, and if if things had been different, which is what we're going to explore in this episode, maybe the outcome to who I am today would be different. Uh, another thing to mention is that I would be on disability, potentially, if I had more structure with this uh, ADHD stuff, you know, because that brings us to where I want to start. We treat ADHD like it is an illness on one hand, and then we treat people who don't have ADHD as normal. And normal is a tricky word, right? Normal is kind of an illusion because average, average exists. The, the, you take a hundred million people and you do the numbers and figure out what's the middle of that. That exists, right? Or you, you say what's most common, spectrums exist, and, and existing at one end of a thing and at another end of it means, like, one end of having ADHD is that you spend all day starting projects that you can't complete. You daydream a lot because you're trying to figure out how to do the project that you want to do. People think you're lazy, and then in a panic, you try to get everything done, and so you get it done, but it's not as good as it could be because you didn't actually take the time to do it right. And another end of it is when you have too much coffee, you forget what you were writing about, right? Those are both ADHD, but they're different kinds of ADHD. They're different ends of the spectrum. 
And not being that way uh, doesn't mean that you're necessarily normal, which is where neurotypical gets to be kind of a tricky word, right? Because you might be neurotypical on one end when it comes to ADHD, but completely atypical, air quotes, on the other end when it comes to depression. Uh, and if you have both of those things, then you kind of exist in a space of Venn diagram of both of those relationships. I joked at the top of this about having ADHD and having PTSD, but those are very real things. You know, I've, I've mentioned it before, but trigger warning, a friend died in my hands, somebody who really mattered to me. And um, that messes with you in a different way than your brain files information differently and receives it differently than a quote-unquote neurotypical person. And then PTSD has its own consequences when it comes to, has its own kind of physics reactions to your sensory input. I'm going to react to things differently, different stimuli differently than other people. And then on top of that, chronic pain has its own sort of uh, uh, thing in there where it messes with how my brain is going to receive things and how it's going to handle it. So all that is to say normal is, again, kind of an illusion. A typical, uh, a neurotypical brain is just saying, you know, on out of, out of all of these brains, at least in the United States and its, its uh, allies area, which is also important. We don't know a lot about the way uh, uh, maybe a brain in a place that isn't our culture functions because we don't, if they don't have, so again, normal, neurotypical is an illusion in that sense as well, uh, which means healthy and unhealthy kind of become an illusion as well. For me, it's kind of one of the reasons I have such leftist foundations is I want to know and the only way to know what is, air quotes, normal, what is really average, is to live in a society that is based on, hey, we're all fair, we're all equitable. Uh, and that gets into another point I want to make, which is, you know, accessibility is, uh, our models of disability are wrong. And I, I want to do a more in-depth episode on this. But kind of the long and the short of it is, we tend to look at disability as a deficit, as a thing wrong with a person, when in fact it's an accessibility issue. It's about whether or not somebody can get to the thing. And when you think about ADHD like that, ADHD isn't about how a brain is broken. It is about how it accesses information differently. Part of the reason I can do some of the history episodes I've been able to do is because the way my brain receives information is such that I can get it through an audiobook pretty much as well as I can get it through a visual source pretty much as well as I can get it through a podcast pretty much as I can get it through a written source. And I can kind of store all of that stuff in the same way. Uh, I can't do it forever as well as some people can which is a different kind of kind of a neuroatypicality if you think about it, like an eidetic memory that's also being not neurotypical my point in all that is that uh 
ADHD, if you look at it as an accessibility issue, say as a student, would have meant that my teachers would have maybe tried to give me different resources to use, would have tried to test me in different ways, and might have tried to interact with me in a different methodology than they would have somebody without ADHD and in a different economic bracket. But that is what we're here to talk about today. We're going to talk about the multiversality of ADHD, like I mentioned uh, I don't know, 15 minutes ago. The reality for me is that I'm finding out I have ADHD medically almost at the age of 40. I knew by the age of 35 that I might have it in a, a less clinical sense, which is to say my shrink, my, my psychologist, who is not a psychiatrist, somebody who wasn't a medical professional, was able to diagnose it as a, hey, you should talk to a doctor about this. I wasn't really able to do that because I would always file it away to do later and then something would happen in front of me and that's just the way ADHD works. I, I even wrote it down on a note a number of times, but that didn't help because if there was too big of a time lapse between when I needed to schedule an appointment and when I needed to do something, it just wouldn't happen. There's also the fact that I'm scared of drugs. You know, uh, my, my parents use them, their parents use them. Uh, a lot of people in my life have abused being ADHD in order to get prescriptions. Uh, as a comedian, I've seen it a number of times. You know, somebody's like, I'm ADHD to get Adderall. That's not to take away from, there's somebody out there you guys should all check out, Corey Spencer. She has a great book that explores it in a in a way that is uh, much more uh, in-depth. I highly recommend that. Uh, but I am personally scared of drugs, so it's a scary conversation to go into it because my father definitely used the fact that he was ADHD to kind of get away with a lot of stuff. Uh, and And like I said seeing people in the comedy scene, jackasses who would like try to abuse the prescription system, uh, especially of the early aughts. Like when I was a kid, uh, people would try to abuse their prescription to sell their Adderall to get a quick hit of whatever drug it was that they liked. Uh, and I'm like, I'm genuinely kind of scared of drug dealing in the criminal enterprise. So like, I have this weird thing where like, I believe we should all be allowed to do drugs, but I'm also still terrified of them. Uh, and I talked about how I hate how I am. I don't like uh, that I can't focus. This show would be uh, kind of a more regular thing if I could set patterns and behaviors that made it so that I had schedules. But those are difficult for me to keep. That gets complicated, of course, by my own physical issues. It's hard to keep a schedule when your body won't keep a schedule, right? Um, and then my struggles my child struggles with it uh, maybe more than they have to because I haven't been able to provide them guidance from my own experience. I haven't been able to learn much as a person with ADHD and help guide them as a, as a child growing up with it. Instead, it's just us finding out at about the same time. Uh, so it's a weird parallel cycle of growth of like what, what works for you? Well, what works for you? You know, and it doesn't always, it, it makes our relationship uh, fairly strong, but it does make it chaotic. And sometimes it, we end up enabling each other's uh, less helpful patterns of behavior. Uh, and and that 
sucks, you know. My my father clearly had ADHD. I would not be surprised if my mother uh, wasn't somewhere on the spectrum of that as well. Uh, but they uh, self-medicated or or found self-coping mechanisms that were not helpful and were not conductive to being uh, what I consider a parent, uh, which meant functionally I, I I was doing a lot of this without parents. Right, because even even the people who were directly around were oftentimes more there to uh, to abuse us. <laughs> like it's weird to say that, and I don't want to. It, it's not a blame thing at this point. Like I'm not saying it as a like fuck these people. These are just clinical facts. I was in an abusive environment, and because of that, I never had uh, parents in a in a in a let's say logistical sense. I had adults in my life who were responsible for me. Uh, and unfortunately, I had to watch them go through a lot of stuff when they should have been parents. The point of all that is to say, let's let's assume um, in an alternate timeline, uh, my father did not self-medicate uh, with uh, uppers, you know, cocaine, amphetamine, that kind of thing, and instead got help, you know, went to a doctor, went to a clinician and was like, what, what things can I do to help myself? What medications can I take so that I am uh, a little more regulated? And what patterns can I try to lay down to help myself achieve this? Well, then I, as that person's child, would have been able to know, hey, this model exists. And there's a timeline where I'm not finding out at 40. I'm finding out maybe when I am in my early teens or even when I am eight or nine. Uh, and then I am in a system where uh, at least I understand a pattern of behavior and I understand why I am this way. I don't grow up thinking I'm mentally handicapped. I don't grow up thinking I have some sort of brain damage. I don't grow up thinking I am broken. I grow up knowing, hey, my brain is just different. The way I do things is specific to me. And I can figure out tools to cope and and fix this, you know, or or at least manage this, you know. Uh, and and I have I have plenty of friends whose timeline I could exist, you know, who who in an alternate reality that could be the thing, uh, and that would be a, a a possibility. But at the same time, I have plenty of friends who have had parents who had ADHD and they themselves have ADHD and they were able to, you know, everybody has the tools and, and medicates, but they still struggle with it, you know, and they still struggle with the fact that you're, you're being prescribed an amphetamine. You're being prescribed something other people do, uh, for fun on a Friday, five days, seven days a week. So maybe I take two in one day and I have an extra fun day. Or what if I run out? Well, you know, I know meth isn't the same, but meth is kind of the same. If coffee isn't cutting it because there's a shortage, maybe uh, just a bump now and again. Maybe I just do that. Well, these are entirely unregulated and different things, and you can't really quantify it the same, but that doesn't matter. And then several months later, you have a problem because of a, a, a different set of brain <laughs> patterns. So, so I guess... Uh, a system in which just parents were around, probably that timeline isn't perfect either. So I want to explore another timeline. Let's say instead of parents, I have 
adults in general, right? And there were a number of adults in my life who I I consider now parents. There's my aunt. Uh, there's 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 at least one patron supporter uh, who who functions in that capacity. Maybe a couple. I'm not going to out you in case you don't want to be outed. Uh, but my aunts were great influences on me. Uh, my librarian, Miss Stefan, she was a great influence on me as a kid. She functioned, I think, very much as a mom of sorts. Uh, she never washed me, but she definitely tried to help me. But if there had been other adults in general, if the, the doctors in my life had kind of put things together, if the, the teachers who weren't this librarian who saw me every day come in and read a different Animorphs book, if the, if the, instead, if the teachers, if the pastor, if the doctors, if the, you know, school counselor, if the, anyone had adult in the system, maybe I would be uh, able to at least know, hey, you know, it's not my fault and that there's actually helpers out there. There's people who don't mind when your brain is a little different and they're willing to support you uh, and, and help you cope and learn the tools. And it's not even because they love you. Because uh, I'll be honest, as a person who is just, just part of the way my PTSD is, sometimes it's hard to trust that people want to help you nearly as much as they are obligated to help you, you know. And having adults in the system who were in place who would have acknowledged this thing in me and advocated for me to deal with it might have put me in a position where not only do I not hate how I am, you know, but I understand that maybe one of these other adults reaches out to me and says, oh, I'm this way and I got to be a teacher because of it, or I became a, a doctor because of it. Then, then I see another model of success, you know, then I see another version of it that isn't even an intimate one. It's a more uh, a professional clinical one and maybe because this person isn't ashamed to be uh, medicated and to be uh, kind of out and proud about ADHD as it were then I would have been able to embrace that maybe again I'm not broken I'm not I'm not weird but similar struggle with this timeline you know what if I find that I can't become a teacher because, you know, I lack the, the funds to go to school uh, and I, I can't even afford the student debt. Like, to me, student debt never made sense as a, as a younger person. So I think even with access to it, I wouldn't have taken it. All of that is to say, at that point, then maybe I start selling my, my ADHD medication to support a lifestyle that I see modeled for me, but I can't achieve. And and I grew up in just the right time for it to be uh, the era of when we're over-prescribing people to solve problems. So I totally could have bounced around between doctors, finally made some payments, maybe afforded a community college, and then suddenly I'm also becoming a criminal. Who knows? Maybe down that timeline far enough uh, at the end of it, I don't, I don't mess up and, and, and start selling my Adderall to students or something. All right, it's clear I'm circling a point, uh, which is what about uh, the fact that I'm actually clearly very uncomfortable with medicating? I struggle with medicating for pain because uh, all of my life, 
the messaging has been that if you're trying to medicate, you are an addict. Uh, and, and part of that is because all of my life, a lot of the people who have tried to self-medicate and manage their, their, their own self, what I would call self-therapize, you know, self-soothe, uh, have been through self-medicating, through, through drugs. People who dealt with pain found themselves getting addicted to opiate painkillers when I was younger, and people who wanted to control their more ADHD personas, I would see get caught up in using cocaine and amphetamines or, or overusing their prescriptions. It's a thing I see a number of friends in my age bracket with, deal with, uh, struggle with to this day, where the balance is between uh, medicating and having a good time. And a lot of that is because, you know, the Sackler family in particular, but in, in general, the kind of industrial drug complex existed where we were giving people pills just to solve problems. Uh, and that's because we have a very kind of archaic mindset. We don't look at how, again, we look at these as things that are broken. So we give them medication to fix them. Instead of saying these are things that require different types of accessibility to things. And therefore we need to change the system. So there is a world in which maybe there's not an industrial drug complex. In which there's not... Um, businesses that realize, well, if we sell basically meth, we can make the same money as drug dealers, right? Like that's, the Sacklers aren't the only family, they're just the family with the brand recognition to say what I mean. Pfizer in general did this. Viagra doesn't need to be prescribed for nearly as many things as it does, but because it sells, uh, they try to push it for a lot of things. Uh, some of the things do work. Like I, I take it because of urinary issues. It makes it, it's a diuretic. It makes you pee more. Uh, so it has like this dual side effect of like, hey, your organ is going to do this thing. Uh, but at the same time, you'll have to pee all the time. And for somebody who has issues making themselves go because of my spinal issues, uh, that's, that's not a bad thing. That's a very helpful thing. Uh, but we also prescribe it to guys in their 40s because they think they need an erection like they're in their 20s when they don't. And that's, a, that's another example of it. We, we oftentimes, there's a number of non-amphetamine-based uh, kind of prescription options, but Ritalin sells, sold really well, so that's what we, they sold for the longest time. You don't bother looking into other brands of research, other markets, because you're basically a drug, uh, you're an industrial drug manufacturer. You're a cartel with more paperwork, right? So in a world where drugs aren't a thing that are done for profit, right, where all the alternatives are explored uh, instead of just, hey, let's, let's fix the symptoms instead of addressing the, like, addressing the problems. There are medications that will help me. I am 100% sure, and I plan to explore all those options. But... The fact that people can turn a profit off of certain medications being sold to me means my doctor might be a little more inclined to do that. In a world without that, other options might be explored. I might be taught better tools, support groups uh, could be pushed uh, where, where other people of ADHD and I meet and we discuss the ways we cope with it in a world where the, the typical person 
doesn't deal with the things we deal with. And I got a number of helpful suggestions from the person that kind of gave me the, from the clinician that gave me my diagnosis. But a lot of those suggestions weren't useful. Like they were like, hey, figure out a way to find a stress clutter free environment. Well, as a disabled person, my life is nothing but stress. And also, I don't really get a choice on if I'm cluttered or not some days. It's like, look, the plate weighs till tomorrow to get washed because I don't feel like doing the walking to the sink and standing. And some days, hey, I can do the plate. I'm going to do the dishes. I'm going to vacuum the floor. I'm not going to mop because that's too much. I'll save mopping for tomorrow. But like, that's that's my reality. So even even in a timeline without drugs, in a, in a multiversal ADHD reality in which drugs aren't around, there's still a number of problems that still make it difficult. And I think one of the biggest problems is we don't have communities that are aware. And I don't just mean with ADHD. The people in my community, i.e. comedians, uh, are kind of my older nominal community. I also hang out with uh, Magic the Gathering enthusiasts. I play D&D sometimes. And all of those different groups are going to handle the news of somebody having ADHD. But in, in the larger terms, in the more like, hey, who are my neighbors? Having an understanding of what ADHD is, is, is a lot of, doesn't exist, you know. Not just with ADHD, though. With, with depression, that's the case, you know. Uh, a lot of people don't have a baseline understanding of how depression works or, or uh, uh, borderline personality disorder. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do to support a friend or loved one with that. I know it exists. I know there's stuff you can do to feed into it. And I know there's stuff you can do that will make their life um, at least more bearable. But I don't, I don't understand the ins and outs of it. Uh, that's because we don't have, in, in a general sense, we don't have a community that is designed, that is a community that is uh, coordinated for that. Uh, and I think, I think that's a thing that in another timeline would make this an easier thing to deal with. The, the part where, like, I don't like how I am. If I found a community, if I lived in a community where if we, as a, Americans, as citizens of the United States, had communities that were more organized around the fact that people are not going to all process information the same. They're not all going to process their emotions the same. They're not all going to process reality the same. Then we would have, you know, maybe a different conversation when it came to my ADHD or, or other people's. Because that's kind of the trick to all this is, like I said, I'm talking about myself, but I want other people to really consider the impact of, like, Look, if your parents aren't capable of helping you, that's a timeline where things are totally different from you. And if there aren't adults to kind of give you a support structure in general, uh, that's a different timeline and reality for you. Uh, and if we lived in a world without an industrial drug complex, you know, like, a, like the industrial military complex, but with drugs, uh, that's a different reality. But all of those realities would be softened uh, if we had communities that were structured around taking care of each other, you know, instead of, hey, I got to go to work. I got to go to work and I got to pay my taxes so that Elon Musk can make a bunch of money off of shareholders and ruin and whatever. My point is our focus is always less on 
our community and more on our individuals. And I think having a different model of community would mean a different relationship for myself with ADHD, but also for other people who are neuroatypical in their own way, neurodivergent in their own way. If we had communities that were a little more informed about how to handle depression or how to handle uh, substance uh, addiction or how to handle any number of things, then maybe we see less life loss. Maybe we see less life lost in longer steps. You know, uh, I am the first to admit that I isolate as a person because of things. And in a way, that is dying slowly while being alive. It's it's not the same as maybe being trapped in your body. Uh, and it's definitely not the same as being, you know, dead. But it's, it's, a, it, it's a death. It's a death by distance and a death of, of, it's a death in the lack, in the sense that it is not a life. Uh, And, and having communities that understand that sometimes uh, not having a life can feel the same as being dead, you know, that's a different timeline. That's a different multiverse. And I think people hear me say, well, I, I want communities built around that. And they think that's the same as saying, I want structures built around that. And and that's not, I do want structures built around that. And in a timeline where, where the social support structures exist, then maybe, yeah, this is all different. But I think that's different from if communities were more uh, designed to take care of each other. Because the community is more the interpersonal thing, right? The thing we do one-on-one. And I think in the United States, we're not really trained to do community, right? Like the things that train us to do community are, are kind of illusions the same way normalcy is. Like a work community isn't a community. Not, I mean, maybe if you're like unionized and employee owned and it's like a, a family and extended business of local people then then maybe your work is a community but most of the time your work is just people who agreed to be at this place because it pays them the best for the least miserable thing and it's not like that can be a basis of community but that's not a basis for community if that makes sense like the way i see it if if you work at burger king uh or if you work at nike you're just trying to survive you're just trying to make it through the day if you're an executive in Beaverton or a burger flipper on 82nd, maybe not an executive. If you're like a a, 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 a person who does filing, you know, or whatever, you're still just trying to make your way through the day, uh, much like a burger flipper on 82nd. The distinction is you have better air conditioning and people are nicer to you when you fuck up. It's, 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 oh, and you make more money. Uh, but that's a distinction you guys think is important. Anyway, my my point is that that is not community in either of those environments, be it Burger King or Nike, because people have to be there. They're, they're, they're there to survive. Community is like, hey, we all live here and we love living here. And so, like, let's let's do things to support each other. You know, let's make sure we have. Somebody who's good at listening—that's that's that's community. Social support structures are more like, hey, what if we had free medical care? What if it didn't cost me money to go see the doctor? 
well then maybe I would have found out about the ADHD sooner on a on a medicinal level and I would be able to attack it in that sense uh, or 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 again I would have a medical diagnosis and I could attack it structurally like oh here's things I need to do and patterns of behavior so there is a timeline where the social structures are in place where maybe school institutions are designed to help students with ADHD rather than qualify them as different where uh, Structures of teaching are designed to inform the student rather than to make the student conform to them. Uh, and if we had uh, uh, models of business where it was acknowledged that employee, the people, if there were governmental laws that said, hey, people with ADHD can't be fired because they daydream, you know, uh, if, if things like that existed, that would be a different reality. Like, there's a lot of jobs I never went for because saying, hey, I'm a spaz or I have ADHD isn't going to help me in that environment. It's just going to be a thing they can use against me later. So I'm not even going to research that option as an, uh, as an employment possibility. And if we had a kind of, if we had more welfare capitalism, right? Like, we had more social structures that were in place, uh, societal structures that were in place to accept people with depression, with autism, with whatever, would that mean a different reality for handling ADHD? Yeah, it would. But but would it be a better one? I don't know, because you still don't have communities that are going to be accepting because they don't have time because they're stuck working for some billionaire somewhere to make that guy money so they can afford to pay rent. So, so you're still still gonna have bad time, bro. I uh, I intentionally stopped myself at seven examples. This is the seventh example, uh, but this is how I wish things were. This is why I am the kind of leftist philosophical weirdo that I am. Is because the world we live in doesn't have to be the way it is. Things can change. They're recyclable. The world can be different than how it is. Let's say in a different multiverse, things went differently. So let's say a woman who really wanted to have a baby met a guy who really liked finishing inside. And they had a kid. But realized they weren't able to have, uh, weren't able to provide structure and support to that child. Well, in a world where who parents are doesn't have to be tied down to biology. Could have been a nice family somewhere that found me and said, we want to raise that baby. And you know what? One of us has ADHD, so guess what? We're actually going to be able to identify. That absolves, you know, the biological people who just want to do the thing from being responsible. And it gives a, a, a family uh, an opportunity. That's why I'm so not tied to biological models of fans like it. My mom isn't necessarily the woman who gave birth to me. I love that person. Uh, but a lot of other people are my mom. My aunts, little ladies from church, librarians, people who I found in my 30s. Uh, and that doesn't mean I, I, I love them less, and I wish that was the way the world worked, because if the entire world worked a little closer to that model, maybe not that model specifically, but something akin to that, then maybe I would have caught on from a parent sooner that I had ADHD.
And maybe if adults in my life in general weren't so focused on their jobs, didn't have to stress about bills, didn't have to stress about rent, maybe a, a church leader could have caught it, or because uh, 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 I did go to church a lot as a kid, maybe I still would have a different opinion of God even <laughs> if that had happened. But well, my point is, focusing. If, if the adults in my life had had been able to pay better attention and sort of focus on their own individual struggles, maybe a teacher, maybe a camp counselor, maybe, you know, a librarian could have called it sooner. And in a world where profit isn't the motivation, which is why I'm so kind of strongly anti-capitalist, maybe I wouldn't have been scared of medication as a kid. One of the big problems I have with, with the medical industry is that it's an industry. It shouldn't be an industry. It should be a, a service. It should be a, a right. It should be a, a it, it should just be. Nobody should have to hope they get approved for a procedure. They should know, no, we live in a society that cares about these things enough that we make sure people go to school and stuff. You know, and that's, that's where community comes in. Because even if you get rid of that profit angle, in my perfect world, people are pushed by the community, by the local things around them, by the familial structures, by the networks of neighbors and the networks of people in your life, right? Because not, not to downplay the podcast, not to downplay the audience, but like, um, imagine a world where there was a community that could have helped me to become a, a, a writer or a, a therapist or a teacher. In, in any of these alternate timelines, that's entirely a possibility. There's, there's a bunch of timelines where I'm a comedian because somebody helped me figure out how to manage my ADHD. Maybe it didn't solve my back problem, but it meant I, I, I could get my story out in a different fashion. And all of that could be changed, too, if we had. So I'm such a, a, a weirdo when it comes to anarchy, right? To, to getting rid of governmental structures and, and kind of giving that power more to the people. Because if we structured society around taking care of each other, suddenly the focus wouldn't be, hey, who has the biggest guns? It would be, hey, how do we take care of the people on this land? Oh, and how do we take care of the land so people can be on it? Oh, and how do we make sure those things live together kind of harmoniously so that they can carry on? Like, what if the solution for a lot of my back pain and my ADHD is I move someplace with just enough sunlight, it's warm and I don't have seasonal depression, and it's not kind of a ping pong? What if, what if that's the solution, and the reason I can't do that is borders exist in capitalism? In the multiverse, in all of the wide spectrum of realities, there's a possibility of going there. And, and living with ADHD is kind of acknowledging all of that at once, and then I still got to wait for the bus, <laughs> right? That's, that's what's so weird about it. It's not, it's not weird. Again, I want to I wanna remind people of that. Being ADHD, if you've got it, if you've got depression, if you've got autism, if you've got um, some other thing that I can't think of, doesn't mean you're wrong or weird or broken. It means you're different. And you're not even different. You're just not the same as everyone around you. There's somebody who's got something similar to you. I think, I think the beauty of being human is that we contain kind of two ends of a spectrum. Uh, and on one end of that spectrum, we are each of us beautiful, unique, glorious beings, stars on the pathway to being gods. But we are also absolute bullshit. Like, none of us is special in that sense. Like, we're all going to die someday. 
So none of us is more special than that. And I think that is us, right? When it comes to, when it comes to ADHD, when it comes to, to other things like depression, like PTSD, like autism, like borderline personality disorder, like a whole bunch of things, it's about embracing that fact. We're all unique, but we're not that different. And if we lived in a world based on that and based, you know, to each according to their need, from each according to their ability, got it in one take, uh, then we'd have a better world. We'd have a, a, a nicer place. We, and I think it's possible. It's what kind of bums me out, is we could recycle this world into something better. And we don't because of, like, billionaires. I don't know. I don't know. ADHD for the win. This is this has been a, an episode of Recyclables. I hope it made sense. I hope hope some kind of point got through. The reason I'd gotten this ADHD diagnosis and it made me realize part of where I am politically is because of uh, who I am, I guess, in response to my reality. I think we can have a bunch of better realities if we push towards these things. Because I think all of the other, the more conservative realities, right? Like the one where I have to fit in, that just leads to dying. The one where either either because somebody kills me or because I have to do it myself because I can't fit in. None of those realities sound better to me. And maybe maybe that's just a byproduct of having ADHD, that I'm constantly exploring these kind of alleys and byways of thoughts. I don't, I don't know. I wish I wish things were different, but like I said, this is this was to explore a little bit of why I am the way I am and and and, and why I am the way I am, if you will. Um, I really appreciate that people let me make episodes like this. Um, I apologize that I didn't have the usual equipment with me and wanted to get this episode done before I got distracted from it. Um, I did have another episode uh, kind of prepared. Uh, it's going to end up being one of the patron exclusives because I'm not really happy with how it turned out in the end, but I did put work into it. Uh, and that's kind of what the Patreon is for. The The main feed is stuff that I don't mind people hearing, like that I wouldn't be embarrassed about. Uh, there is some stuff on the... There is going to be a patron exclusive going up on the Patreon soon. Uh, that's me exploring this from a different angle. Um, I actually wasn't, I, I, I tried to record a thing and layer and do stuff, and I wasn't happy with how it turned out, but I put a w lot of work into it, so I wanted the patrons to know it existed. But I don't think it's, like, primary feed good enough. Uh, so that, that kind of gives you an idea of how the Patreon for recyclables works. There's always stuff in the main feed. If there's stuff behind the paywall, it's just stuff that I'm like, it's a little more personal. Uh, it's not like it makes a ton of money, uh, but that's not the point. Because Recyclables is meant for everybody. Uh, the Patreon just exists so that sometimes I can give my landlord a hundred bucks and say, please don't kick out a cripple. And then he goes, oh, wow, yeah, no, that would be, would be morally dubious of me. Continue to live at my house and not pay me money. Uh, it's more complicated and nuanced than that. I don't want to make my landlord sound like some sort of weirdo. Because uh, they're not my landlord. They're they're a family member who's taken me in and appreciates that I give them money. 
and I appreciate the Patreon for existing because it lets me throw some money at the electricity bill, you know. Um, if you can't support the Patreon, I understand. I wouldn't be able to support my own Patreon. But if you want to support the show, give it a like, give it a review, share, tell a friend. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram while those structures still exist. Uh, but if you do donate to the show, if you do decide to become a patron, at the end of every episode, you get named an executive producer because you help make the show possible. Uh, for the executive producer, Reed, uh, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to switch to a different me to give you an idea of what you missed at the Patreon. Um, Beautiful bean footage. <laughs> Uh, no, I just wanted to take a second before I recorded my park soundscape thing, and I want to thank the executive producers of Recyclables. Uh, if you want to become an executive, if you want to become an executive producer of Recyclables, all it takes is becoming a Patreon patron at patreon.com forward slash recyclables. If you can't afford to be a patron, that's cool. If you can afford to give me a buck or two every month, that's cool too. Uh, it's kind of the beautiful model of this particular show is I want it to be accessible to everyone. I want to say what I want to say and doing it this way allows us to kind of have the best of both worlds. Sure, the production schedule is a bit wonky because it's based on when I have time, but uh, I, I, still think, I still think it's worth it. Uh, at the same time, I really do appreciate everyone who gives of their money because your money, if you're a listener, probably comes from your own hard labor, and I appreciate that. So uh, that's, that's why we do things like this to each according to their need, from each according to their ability, you know? My ability is to pontificate about the fucking struggles of capitalism and imperialism and white supremacy and and your ability might not be that so beautiful model uh but let's get to thanking the executive producers so thank you sabrina phillips executive producer of recyclables thank you edwin shives uh, executive producer of recyclables thank you stephanie oxford executive producer of recyclables whitney hampson you are an executive producer of Recyclables, and I thank you very much. Nova Starlust, thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. Rob Campbell, I am also very grateful for your patronage. Thank you for being uh, an executive producer of Recyclables. Andrew Miller, I know you have uh, your, own, your own struggles, so thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. Kristen Rowan, thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. Linda Grimes, thank you for being an executive producer kind of all my life. Butterface Creation, thank you for being an executive producer on Recyclables. Uh, Carrie Davis, thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. Erica N., thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. Ash Alexander, thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. And last but not least, Chella L., thank you for being an executive producer of Recyclables. Uh, now what we're going to do is give you guys, uh, this is going to be bonus, I'll give you give you a park experience. So, enjoy.
So we have to give that couple of, a moment to pass, so I'm not, uh,
Oh, I totally did not stop recording. That's great. Scoundscape for you. I hope. Hopefully, I'll have something interesting to edit later. Um, as always, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for supporting the show. See you next time. I'm not gonna play music, so I just thought I would do that. Like, yeah. Bye. Sorry, I'm trying to read my own handwriting. My my oh oh <laughs> okay. I read. I learned how to read my own handwriting. There we go. Cut this and put it in the past. I know you're gonna hate it, but do it. All right, do it. Um, and when I was young, the late '90s to the early aughts. That would have been the perfect time to, Elsie, no. 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 Thank you, Elsie. Thank you for making me exist, I guess. Thank you for picking up recyclables today. Donations to the ACAST streaming service are, of course, always welcomed, but the best way to support the show is by going to patreon.com forward slash recyclables and becoming a patron today. If you can't do that, another great way is by liking, subscribing, sharing, rating, and reviewing the podcast on whatever podcast listening service you use. All right, thanks.